You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to listen to the weather report and, well, to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey. This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. This episode of The Morning Muster is sponsored by Beta Marine. For over 20 years, Beta Marine has been providing smooth, reliable marine diesels. These are 100% mechanical engines built on the Kubota block with widely available parts and a five-year warranty. Beta Marine USA has a new online parts store plus sail drives, alternators, custom mounts, and feathering props. Yeah, we've got a Beta 60 in Rocinante, and we chose Beta for the simplicity. And because every time we called their office, we got a hold of Lisa or Stan, and they're both so helpful and patient. Find them at betamarinenc.com. Today we're talking about sail training with two seasoned sailing educators. We've got Biz Wallace and Jesse Weagle. So let's dive in. Okay, so uh, let's just, yeah, let's just start with uh, introductions. Uh, Biz, you and I have met, so why don't you go first and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is Biz Wallace. Uh, I'm a 110 U.S. Coast Guard captain. I've been sail training for about a decade now. Um, my main hawse pipes have been SEA, or Sea Education Association, and they do uh, research vessel sailing trips around the world with college students. Um, so I worked there a ton, and then I also worked on Tollymore, which did summer camps on the West Coast. So those are my two main hospice pipes. And you're forgetting the most important one. Oh, yes. The most important one. Uh, I also work for Morse Alpha. <laughs> Full disclosure. Uh, and Jesse, how about you? Yeah, uh, my name is Jesse Weagle. I, like Biz, have also been sailing for about a decade. I'm also a 100-ton master. And uh, I got involved through an internship aboard the Schooner Adventurous from my hometown in Port Townsend, Washington also where I met Biz a few years ago. We worked together. Uh, yes, I've been sail training on schooners on the east and west coast. I've done um, some square rig trips across the pond. Uh, and I also was for a couple of years uh, an outward bound lead instructor working for the Hurricane Island Outward Bound School in Maine and Florida. And uh, beyond that, you know, various little sailing gigs here and there and rigging and a lot of painting holes. <laughs> Jesse, what years were you with that, with Hurricane Island? Because I was with them also. Oh, were you? I was with Hurricane Island. I, let's see. I started, uh, it all blends together, doesn't it? I think 2017. I actually began with the Northwest Outward Bound School here in Washington. Uh, I ran their last two sailing programs before they unfortunately shut, shut that program down. Uh, the San Juan Islands are a great, uh, a great program area for that, but they couldn't maintain the program, so I wanted to continue with Outward Bound, so I bumped over to Hurricane Island that summer 2017, and I, I believe I did 2017, 2018, and in the middle of there, the, the Florida season in the winter. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, we probably have a lot of mutual friends. I was with Northwest Outward Bound when it was called, when it was called uh, Pacific Crest Outward Bound. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we can have a long, long discussion about, about, mm -hmm. about those folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, as we proposed this topic to you two, um, Baze came back and said to Ben, 
She wants to talk about um, what's wrong with the industry. What does the industry get right and what it doesn't? <laughs> and so so that's pretty powerful. And, you know, I'm an opinionated person, too. So I've got some thoughts on that. And so I want to start with that. What does the industry get right in regards to sale training? And maybe, Biz, we could start with you. Like, maybe you could tell us about a moment where you had a success story where you were like, yes, I nailed it. Or you noticed a colleague who's teaching who you felt that about or, you know, just a great success story. Totally. Um, I think a lot of vessels, they'll have like a JWO program or a junior watch officer program. Um, and I find that that really pulls it all together because all of a sudden you have this teenager or a young adult or um, maybe an adult, depending on what boat you've worked on. And all of a sudden they're in charge of a 130 foot boat. Um and they have to delegate tasks to people. They're having to like look at the radar, like look at the weather, figure out what their leadership style is, their communication style. And depending on what, <laughs> what program it's at, um, I've seen it work really, really well. And I think there are not enough opportunities these days to give people that level of responsibility. So when I think of sail training as a whole, I think like giving people the opportunity to run a boat um, is really incredible. Definitely. And Jesse, what are your thoughts? I could tack on to that. Uh, I think Biz is absolutely right. I think what the sail training industry, I guess, you know, my, we're, we're from the tall ship land, so I, I speak in terms of tall ship um, or traditional sail. And what, what's gotten right in that industry, I think, how to say, it's, it's stunning. You know, people get aboard these boats and they're kind of shocked into submission to the program. And that's that's a great starting point. You're putting people into uh, into a position they've never been in, and it's dynamic enough that you can you can thrust opportunities on them and put them in situations they never would have thought possible. And that's really just by the nature of these these bigger vessels, because um, in a lot of ways these things shouldn't even exist anymore. They they don't really have a place in the world except for sail training or tourism. And when they're lent to the sail training industry, just their, their magnitude can really draw people in and inspire people. So I don't know if that's us in the industry getting things right or the ships themselves or the industry getting something right, but I guess it's using those vessels to greater ends that has gotten right sometimes. So Biz wanted to bring up the topic of what do we get right and what do we get wrong? Um, so it's the sometimes. Sometimes these programs really stay mission oriented and they say, no, we're doing this for a greater purpose. Sometimes, usually because of monetary issues and, and shortfalls, they can tend to slip into uh, a little mission deviance. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a saying that is often said at Outward Bound, where they say we're a a school by choice, a business by necessity. Yeah, sure. And so sometimes you have to be a little bit of both. Well, you are a little bit of both. But um, so you were talking about you. You had this great, great mental picture for me of this person standing at the helm of a big schooner that they likely will never sail again. And so why is it valuable then that they learn how to sail on a, on a schooner like that? It's it's this incredible dynamic platform that I haven't found existing anywhere else that everything is constantly shifting beneath your feet. The, the benefit of the larger vessels, obviously there's small boat sail training and, and larger boat sail training, 
with the with the larger boat sail training, you have some more elements that comes into play. There's more happening at once, and there is by necessity more communication required and uh, more predetermined communication required. So it's it it gets people out of this comfort zone. We live in this world where there is a lot of ways to put yourself into your own very personalized comfort zone, and you can avoid uh, all of the necessities of, of communication. But when you put yourself in actual risk, because you know every time we're out on the water, we're at risk by by its nature, and things have to happen. So putting someone at the at the wheel it just thrusts upon them this responsibility that is absolutely inescapable. And uh, it's, it's getting harder and harder to find a space that is inescapable in the world. I wanted to ask you both, um, what motivated you guys to get into sail training? Were you sailors first and decided you wanted to teach this art? Or were you educators that kind of moved into the field of sailing? What motivated you to get into this field? Oh man, so tail is old as time. Uh, I <laughs> was at my, I was at college and um, they happened to have a wooden schooner sail training vessel. They have it at the college for the Navy ROTC students, but they open it up to everybody else. I did a trip with them, fell in love with it, started teaching with them and just like it slowly but surely kind of took over my life. Yeah. And kind of for the reasons I mentioned earlier, like, I don't know that there are as many opportunities to give people that kind of responsibility and feeling of freedom. And I loved being able to kind of pay it forward and teach other people how to sail. I, uh, I think that I represent a, like a slice of the industry that's really positive. I, I didn't go to university. I, when I was 20, in my early 20s, I really didn't know what I was doing with myself. I was working in a coffee shop, just like you do. And uh, just by random happenstance, I, I wound up having an internship aboard this schooner with no qualifications <laughs> whatsoever. I probably shouldn't have even been there teaching other people things that I didn't know myself, but they took care of me. They taught me the things I needed to know. And it gave me this launch pad that has a thousand percent changed the entire direction of my life. Um, so now here I am, I've, I've sailed all around the world and, and uh, if it hadn't been for these ships and just a, a chance interaction really with an individual who got me this internship, uh, things would have turned out really differently. And I, I see that a lot with people who get on these boats. Mm -hmm. it, that's such a great story. So you, you took a course in it or an internship and it changed your life and now you're offering that same opportunity to other people. Yeah, it's um, I, I feel a lot of gratitude towards that particular vessel and all the people who've come before so that keep these things going. Obviously, there a lot of these vessels are very old and, and it requires a lot of care and work to do, but they just create this in incredible space. Uh, most of my friends, I, who am I kidding? All of my friends <laughs> have, have have come from sailing and. Uh, and without it, I, I actually wouldn't even know who I am. Oh, man, I love that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's um, just truly, truly opens the world up. So I want to go back to the first thing that we talked about, how the what the industry gets right and what it gets wrong, because we left off the second half of it, what it gets wrong. <laughs> the sailing education industry. Um, Biz, since you brought that up, 
<laughs> not on the podcast. I'm going to totally put you on the spot. Uh, <laughs> but what, what do you think? Oh, um, um, well, shoot. I think the biggest thing is not meeting people where they are. And I think some of these programs, there's like a lack of flexibility built into them. And so that's where I've seen it go wrong is um, I'll be like on deck, like watching another mate run the JWO, and I'm watching somebody who is supposed to be like, who's a student in charge of the deck, um, trying to delegate these tasks. And maybe they've like never done anything like this before. And I'm just watching them sobbing while they're trying to orchestrate some sort of evolution or maneuver. And like, that's not the point of outdoor ed and sail training. I think it's to empower people and um, show them what uh, skills they have and build their confidence. And I've, I've just seen it tear a lot of people down. I think all too often people have this kind of old school mentality where like it's a boat. So things are supposed to be hard and nobody helped me. So I'm not going to help you. And that's probably the thing I take issue with the most. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even need to be that way. If someone's a really good educator, then they can, they can coach or help somebody find their way and, and able to execute that maneuver and feel good about it and learn something. Certainly. This is a very tangled, complicated issue. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that the majority of the programs that I've worked for are constantly strapped for cash. So when you're strapped for cash, who are you going to find as your crew and how well are you going to be able to compensate them? Uh, It took me a long time before I was able to make any sort of a decent wage. Probably still haven't. Um, (laughs) Uh, and so, and, and so what do you do? How do you retain quality crew when you're not able to compensate them? I, I've never received health benefits from a tall ship and you, you can't retain these people. It means that you're constantly hiring from the ever present pool of college students who are on their summer break and want to go work for SCA, which is fantastic. And they should, but people come up through this hog pipe and that's where you get your captains. And eventually, that's also where you get people who work in the office. I've seen education directors of these programs started as a decade, which is in a way wonderful. But it also means, are you really the one who should be running this program, who was just a couple years ago, uh, Chip and Varnish? I'm not, I'm not certain of that. Mm-hmm. You know, in, so we're talking a lot about schooners, but I also want to, for, to remember that there's another part of sail training, and it's what um, Ben and I are doing now with more self-expeditions, and that's training people on yachts and people who are going to buy their own yacht and go, you know, a private sailboat and go sailing on that. And, um, and with that, in regards to that, Biz, you had said something that I thought was really interesting um, when you first started talking about this, the structure on a boat or how um, – people really hold on to that when they're trying to coach somebody and therefore there's not enough flexibility. And um, it, it reminds me of some of these yacht certification programs that say level one is near coastal, level two is navigation, level three is offshore, whatever order they go in. I don't, I don't remember specifically, but it's interesting because um, if level, if uh, level two is navigation and level one is coastal, I mean, you have to be able to navigate when you're near the coast as well. And sometimes if you're going out sailing on the first day and it's foggy, you have to be really, really good at navigation um, before you need to know maybe how to be really, really good at sail trim. 
Um, and it all kinds of, it all kind of, it, it's all simultaneous. I don't think it's ordered like that, like one before the other, before the other, um, because the environment's so dynamic. And so I think when we talk about problems with the industry, I think that's one of the problems is applying too much structure also in that regard, where you're a level one, if you know this and a level two, if you know that, when really you need to have a little bit or a lot of all the skills, depending on the circumstance. Yeah, totally. I think people like cling so tightly to their curriculum. Um, and I, I think if you're working within a larger structure as like U.S. Sailing or ASA, um, you have to have that. Like you have to um, have this kind of standardization. But I think it really shoehorns you into only being able to teach certain things and you're just having to check boxes. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. like the skills they teach are helpful, but they may not be the most relevant to whoever your students are. So I wanted to ask you guys something. If we're talking about what we thought was wrong with the industry, um, one of the things that I noticed that really uh, bothers me actually quite a bit, I wanted to ask you if you guys notice it too, but um, just just the difference of how men and women are treated differently perhaps as students, as potential sailors. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Oh boy! Uh-oh. Is that a whole different podcast episode? Oh, oh, oh God! <laughs> well, let me just let Biz. Okay, oh, Jesse, no. I want to hear from you too because I feel like women have a lot to say about it, but I want to hear what men have to say oh, too. Certainly. Oh, I'm happy to talk about that. <laughs> so, so your question is how the industry treats men and women differently? Yeah, kind of as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just a general question. Uh, so when I was when I was like a baby, baby deckhand, um, learning all sorts of things, um, there was me and then there was this other guy who I was working with and he was at Maine Maritime and um, just, you know, a really great guy, but maybe not the best with kids. And so pretty early on, um, I became the program deckhand and he became the like maintenance and technical deckhand. And I obviously like, I love kids. I love working with people, but I found that those kinds of decisions really hurt me uh, early on in my career as far as like learning these technical skills and being able to move up. So that's an early example. And then now 10 years later, I'm working now as a charter boat captain. And I just find that I have to work so much harder to prove myself. And I think it all kind of goes back to the beginning and these pipelines and just kind of how we shoehorn people into these roles based on gender. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously gender inequality that happens ashore, it just drives right onto the boat. Ever since I started sailing and knowing less than nothing, uh, in my very first season, I was standing next to uh, my female mate and and someone ashore asked me if I was the captain. Well, that's that's not me. I just happen to be six feet tall and 200 pounds and I have a beard. Obviously, I'm the captain. That is definitely not true. Um, uh, I, I see it all over the place. And I've seen myself actually quite guilty of, of making assumptions based on gender. You know, there's on tall ships especially, or if you're rowing uh, a pulling vessel, you know, you need strength. And I've seen mates, including myself, um, make decisions on who's going to take what tasks just based on gender. And I've, uh, I've myself had to do a lot of work and I've tried to get very much on the other side of it um, to, to give opportunities equally. It, it comes with our students as well. I, uh, I saw it on the last cell training vessel I was working on was a Dutch vessel. 
with 60 students aboard and the the male students uh, would always jump on the line in front of a female student. I, I'd have to beat them away with a belaying pin in order to give opportunities to, to female crew members. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's absolutely constant. And um, as for opportunities, ever since the day I stepped on a ship, people just keep handing me opportunities when I don't deserve them. Like I have to tell people, I have no idea how to operate this vessel. You think I can just drive this boat around without knowing how? You should give this to her. She's been doing this a lot longer. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it is ever present. And I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know the way forward with it. Uh, I guess things in the world are in some ways trending nicely. How do we get that on the water? It's kind of, honestly, Jesse, it's really refreshing to hear you say, to hear a man say that you've been handed opportunities just because you're a man, that, that you have that much of a leg up. Because I, I remember one time I was at a dock, I was driving a boat, captaining a boat, and I was at a dock, and Ben, my husband, who's also a captain, um, came down to the dock to visit me for lunch or whatever, and uh, um, there were multiple other um, charter boats at this dock, and a captain from another charter boat came up to Ben and said, hey, I'm looking for a relief captain. Would you like to do it? And I'm standing there driving this boat in uniform. Obviously, I have a license, and the guy never even asked I mean, Ben started driving that boat. He never even asked him if he had a license. And um, he, but what did he have that I didn't have? It's that it was that beard that you're talking about. Yeah, the beard goes a long, long way. Long Maybe way. I should grow a beard. Yeah, I should grow a beard. Jeez, I should cut mine off. But I should do. Um, but I, I something that makes me think about this. Something that you said was um, about people making assumptions about gender and um, capabilities. And um, and I think that a lot of times women make assumptions too about what they're mm. capable of, and uh, and they sell themselves short. I've noticed this sometimes, not all the time, uh, and and not even most of the time, just sometimes, occasionally. And I think maybe it's because they've been sailing with their particular partner who makes these assumptions, and they've fallen into these this groove, the way they do things on board their boat. And then, of course, they come aboard our boat where we have captain of the day and all these job rotations and everybody's expected to participate equally. And, and suddenly they're thrust into a new role at times that they're not comfortable with or not used to. Um, and I remember one couple in particular where um, her, her husband would always step on her toes and say, oh, don't you want to attack right now or don't you want to do this? And it'd be her turn at, at the helm. Her, she was in charge in that moment making the decisions. And she just... Would, wouldn't and she would whisper to me I, I think I want to do this or I think I want to do that and I'd be like you need to say it loud sometimes you're right just say it out loud and uh and and years later we bumped into them at a boat show and they had been cruising quite a bit after that and I asked her how's it going and she says well we we do morning muster every day still which I was really happy to hear <laughs> and she says and we do captain of the day every day still which was awesome they alternate and then she says, and you remember that time when you told me, sometimes you're right? And I was like, yeah. She goes, well, now I think I'm right all the time. <laughs> Which is that pretty reminds awesome. reminds me of uh, uh, something that I, I constantly saw happen when I was working with Outward Bound. Um, you know, the, the process model there is you give a few days of, of training um, and at the end of well, there's a whole long process, but at the end, you give them their final, which is that the instructors entirely back off 
and give them a goal to reach. You need to get back to base or you need to go to this island or wherever. And they get to decide their route, go wherever they want to go. And invariably, the moment that you go hands off, they entirely forget how to sail. Even if you've been teaching them for three weeks, they want to sail. They want to beat into the wind. And all of a sudden, all of the guys are saying, you need to sheet out. You need to sheet out. You got to you gotta sheet out all the way. And there was, I just have this vivid memory. These students are, are trying their darndest to sail out to this reef to go snorkeling off the coast of Florida. And they're trying to beat their way up there and they're against a current and they're going nowhere for about four hours. And this one female student is just sitting there at the gunnel. I, guys, I think we need to sheet in. <laughs> didn't they say, didn't they say we need to sheet in? No, 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 no. When you sail close to the wind, you're supposed to sheet out. No, I, okay. I guess, uh, you know, these, these huge male personalities on board this little 30 foot boat, just like trying to claw its way out to go do a little snorkeling. It just never got there because these guys just wouldn't listen. And I could probably tell two dozen other stories just like that. How do we, how do we go ahead and, and lift up those voices? You know, I, I've tried lots of ways and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but the students bring with them these these notions and sometimes our programs will nod towards that sometimes our programs will make efforts to to equalize or raise up those voices but very few and far between our programs that make that a pillar of what they are doing and i i think that that needs to be happening more well, I think it's I think that's the harder part of sailing education of being an instructor is because um, you can master uh, tying a bowline and, and then you can teach someone how to tie a bowline. and you you do this with the rope, you do this. Um, but then to to lift up a voice, that's a whole that's a whole different um, nuance. Like it's it's sometimes hard to notice or you have to recognize a lot of this in yourself, too. I think that would be the educators that can do that well have been doing it a long time, are really, um, they've honed the skill of being an educator and teaching someone how to tie a bowl and is so easy for them that they're able to look to the next level and really see, you know, look at a person and see what are they grasping, what are they not, and what in terms of leadership or communication or confidence, what do we need to work on in those realms? Because really that's like when accidents happen at sea or when you can't beat to windward and get to this snorkeling spot, when mistakes happen at sea, it's usually because of a communication breakdown, I think. <laughs> um, but since we're talking, since let's steer away from that a little bit and talk about technical things. Um, I want to know uh, some of these lessons we've heard a million times, you know, at the beginning when someone's first learning how to sail, they need to tie a few basic knots. They need to know a little bit about the weather, a little bit about sail trim, uh, or how to steer about some of the basics. And so the three of us, we've heard those same lessons probably over and over again, taught by a whole bunch of different people in different ways. Can you think of a time where you're like, oh, this lesson has been done. This I've seen it the same way every time. I'm going to try it this way. I'm going to try it a little different. And it, and it really worked for you. Something that I, I really enjoy doing uh, when I have the time to do so, I uh, especially outward bound Ex extended trips on outward bound are a great place to be because you have the time to do things. We as sailors, we love our jargon. We love to speak in our own secret language, but it leaves very little room for ownership over what we're teaching. 
if you start a trip from the beginning and let everybody name everything, we don't have to stick to calling something port and starboard even. All we need is a shared language. Yes, you need to know that down the line if you're going to sell with others. But if you can give an opportunity to not be so rigid with the language, that's not really the important thing to learn the actual the actual technical skills of sailing. If you want to call a knot something different today, that's fine, as long as you learn it. Uh, and then as long as maybe you understand that's not what everybody else calls it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can think of so many words that we've come up with over the years. We call our chip, lo- one, one group of students called the chip log, the speed pizza. <laughs> um, sometimes a Zeppelin bend is called the kissy fishy knot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. Because I know you have tricks. Yeah, the the big one I can think of. So I ran um, a small boat uh, sailing school for a few years and um, mostly working with kids. But I think one big change I tried to make in my teaching style was to really step away from lecturing in the whiteboard and drawing these really boring diagrams and talking about sail theory and So what we did my last summer is we would just give the kids a laser, give them all the parts to the laser, and then have them try to figure out how to put it together and like figure out what the reasoning is for why we have sheets and why we like why we have all these controls for the mainsail and where they may go. So I think just giving people some flexibility to figure things out on their own. Mm-hmm. That's been the biggest change. Yeah, that's that actually kind of biz speaks to something I've heard you talk about before, which is uh, people in this industry kind of holding on to some kind of sacred knowledge yes. that they're only going to impart once you've earned it. And it really leaves no space for discovery. And if you give people all the parts of a laser and they have some basic understanding of anything, eventually they're going to figure out how to put put that thing together. They're going to figure out how to trim their sheet. And that discovery is going to do a thousand times more than, than that whiteboard will. And it gives them an opportunity to make mistakes too, which kind of ingrains things in your head even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, one of the um, lessons that I've honed over the years that I'm kind of stubborn how I do it now is the points of sale. I have seen so often instructors sit down at the whiteboard and draw the circle and the little boat in irons, close hauled, close reach, you know, like a clock, you know, all the different positions of the boat. And, um, and boy, that diagram for a person for seeing it for the first time is, can be incredibly confusing. There's so many boats on it and you're looking at them from the top rather than from the cockpit. And so you're talking about wind that you can't see. It's very confusing. And so when I teach points of sale, I often will either one day it'll be like, we're just going to learn upwind sailing today. And we are pick a destination that's upwind and we sail attack back and forth and sail upwind and really master that. Or if I am going to do a diagram like that, it would be just the close hauled, a reach, and a run as three points of sail. And that's all you need to know is three. And I tell them that every time. It's all you need to know is three points of sail, no matter what people tell you about close reach, broad reach, beam reach. It's all reaching. And the same rule applies. The same rule of thumb applies for trimming your sails. And there's only three rules of thumb. And then everything else is just nuance. And so by the time... If they learn those three points of sale and they master those and they want to learn all the stuff in between, it just comes so easy because they already, they already get it. They already understand it. But if you try to give it all those little details to them at once, it can be very overwhelming. 
Um, so that's kind of how I, I'm kind of stubborn about the points of sale. Like, just stick with the three. You only have to know three things. I feel like the rule of three is usually very helpful. You only have to know three things instead of 10 things. <laughs> so I, I have a question. What about um, you guys both sail on traditional boats a lot, but our audience for this podcast, I would say the majority of them are going to be on modern yachts and uh, things are done very different, differently. And in particular, I know that navigation, like without rebound, you don't have the chart plotter on board and um, you're going to be rowing instead of buzzing around in a Zodiac or things, the lifestyle, the, the, the way of thinking about sailing and living aboard and traveling and all of that is just different. And so I wanted to ask the two of you, what's the value of sailing these traditional boats that can then apply to sailing modern yachts or just to life in general? Like, why are we going back in time when we have all these these gadgets that can really help us with sailing? Mm, that's a great question. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing that I've gotten out of sail training is just having some sort of system to manage everything that's going on. When you're on a traditional vessel, there's like so many details, there's so many people, there's like so many activities that you're trying to accomplish. And so, for example, there'll be like a chore wheel. Um, and that just lets everybody on the boat know what their job is on the boat on that day. Or there'll be something called standing orders, which says this is how we're going to operate this boat safely. These are the things that we have all agreed upon. This is how we're going to communicate about these things if something is, is different or not what we want it to be. So I think those kind of management systems, bringing that to your own little boat is super helpful. And maybe it's just you and your partner sailing, but just as long as you have a system of like, okay, I'm going to cook today. Like you're going to drive the boat tomorrow. We're going to switch or um, like I'm at the wheel steering. Like I feel uncomfortable about this because we've talked about this in our standing orders. Let's talk about it and figure out like what our solution should be. Mm -hmm. I, I like to tell people and it's not very popular that, uh, there's really no reason that we need traditional signals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell that to people maybe to, to knock them off balance a bit. I, I don't know if I believe it myself, but the, the value to me of traditional sale, obviously it's not getting from point A to point B. It's not the most efficient way. Um, it's certainly not the easiest way, but I do find that it is the way that increases your soft skills the most. Um, if you, are forced to do something the hard way with pencil and paper. If you're forced to haul on a line that's blocks and not a powered winch, you're going to learn something either just physically through your body or intellectually. Um, and it's going to force you to become more resourceful. If you are out there and your wooden bowsprit snaps off, you're going to have to fix it. And you're going to have to learn this myriad of skills in order to do that. I know myself, if I hadn't taken that internship, you know, a decade ago, I would be, I'd be a useless person probably. <laughs> um, I, I've learned so much though, because being in this, in this world, I've had to learn woodworking. I've had to learn how to do proper paint finishes. I've had to learn small engine repair. I've had to do all of these little things because, because I had to, and there's no, there's no uh, store that I can go to to buy a new uh, whatever it is I need to buy for this traditional vessel. I have to learn skills, and it keeps me mentally active. And it keeps me physically active. 
So Ben and I both have a background in tr- sailing traditional boats on schooners and without we're bound. And, but now we're on a, a modern yacht and our students are all going to go on to sail modern yachts. But we still kind of hold on to the values that we, we learned from sailing the traditional boats. And in particular, one of them is, is the traditional navigation. And it's, um, we teach, you know, paper chart and no, no electronic navigation until the last day or two. Then we'll, then we'll use the chart plotter because, you know, everybody's going to have one on board. So they also need to learn how to use that. But it's interesting because sometimes people are resistant in the beginning. Like, why do I need to learn this? when I can use this tool that I'm going to have. And, um, and it's not going to break because I have a backup chart plotter and a backup backup chart plotter to my chart plotter. And, um, and so, but what we find is that they end up loving it. They most, most of the time they really enjoy it. And not only are they learning how to navigate without a chart plotter, but they're learning how to read the wind on the water. They're learning how to, how, learning how to be really observant about the weather, um, and just sense a lot more things, use a lot more of their senses and just really get to know sailing as a whole holistically than they would if they were not paying that, paying attention in the same way because they were using the chart plotter. And so I think just the, just by keeping active and doing those skills, you learn these tangent skills as well. I think I'm not entirely making sense, but in my, in my head I am. Oh, you're making lots <laughs> um, yeah, of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Totally. <laughs> So um, a lot of our students come to us as a husband and wife team or um, two people that are going to sail, that are best friends that are going to sail together or even a family. Sometimes we have children, not children, but they're adult children aboard. Um, And so they've been sailing together already. They're going to go on to sail with that person even more and their skills are imbalanced. One person has more skills when it comes to sail handling and steering the boat. One person might be more skilled when it comes to cooking aboard a boat, provisioning or navigating. And so they need to teach each other. They need to help each other. And so do you guys have any tips for teaching your partner, someone you're very close with and you already have a certain way of doing things together? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. It's different when it's not that student teacher uh, roles. That's, that's a very interesting one. I think before you even get on the boat, you should all lock yourself in a closet together for a month. <laughs> uh, it's actually, it's interesting you bring this up. My brother, uh, I like to refer to him in his yesteryear as a dirtbag sailor. You know, he learned to sail because he bought himself some 20-something foot fiberglass boat with no engine. And he shoved himself out and straight on to Fuca and tried to avoid getting hit by tankers. And that's how he learned to sail. And uh, I love that. I love that about him. He's incredibly resourceful. He's now moved on to a different period of his life where he has two children and a wife and he lives ashore, but they recently just sold their house and they're going for it. They're going to buy a vessel and they're going to be cruisers. And I am excited and so, so worried <laughs> about how that is going to go. Um, because I know that my sister-in-law, she's not a sailor. She's excited about it, but they haven't, quite done it yet so i'm urging my brother to get sailing lessons for his older kid um and what i think they're getting smart about it they're they're planning a small voyage you know start small you got you don't don't leap in all the way until you know this is for you because god forbid you're unfortunately one of those people that is seasick anytime you get near the water that's something to consider or just just being out of reach is hard for a lot of people. So um, there's some, there's some maybe places 
ashore that are maybe a good stand-in for being on the water. Yeah, I was joking, but maybe put yourself in a cabin for a while. Get yourself away from the amenities of life and see how that works for you. Uh, so I know, I know your question was how um, to teach your partner, um, mm-hmm. which I'll circle back to. But I think a big thing, if you're kind of the less experienced person, is to find other people to go out with. One, because I think the more people you sail with, uh, the better understanding you have of that there's really no right answer. Like everybody does everything differently. But I think it's a way to also be more confident and to feel um, more useful with your partner. And that way you're not just reliant on them all the time. So that's a big one. I find especially with women, like finding other women to go out with is a big deal. Thank you, Biz, for bringing that back around to answering the actual question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, I think as far as like sailing with your partner and teaching them, um, that can be kind of tricky. I, I met my boyfriend sailing. And I think a big thing we do before we go out together is we'll decide, okay, like who's in charge today? <laughs> and then kind of you know, it's, it's bridge resource management skills or like cockpit, um, resource management skills, figuring out how to communicate things in a way that's helpful. Um, whether that's like making a suggestion or saying something like I noticed this, but then giving that person kind of space to think it through and figure it out on their own. Now, Ben here is sitting here telling me I I should ask you what bridge resource management is, but I'm not going to (laughs) because I feel like that needs to be a whole podcast episode all on its own because there's so much to say about it. Uh, I can say it super quickly. So I I just took the class, so it's fresh in my brain because I'm upgrading my license. But uh, basically, it's learning how to communicate and manage all of your resources um, as like a big ship or a little sailboat, uh, whatever you're in charge of, as a means of collision avoidance. Basically how to talk to people. Which is never in the books, right? It's never in the 101, 102, how to talk to people, never in the learn to sail textbook. But yet it's the most important thing. So we're going to wrap up here. It's been 45 wonderful minutes. uh, And I've learned a lot from you both. So... Let's transition to shore, and maybe you can. Maybe you guys each could share something about a lesson that you've learned at sea, that you've worked with a student on, that can transfer to shore to norm to quote normal life. Uh, a big thing that we tell our students at SEA when they are the JWO is that they have all of their shipmates as a resource, so you never have to shoulder all of that responsibility on your own. You have everyone around you to help you. But you just have to be comfortable asking for help and kind of figure out um, what people's strengths are and how they can help you shoulder that burden. And I think that's a big takeaway when you go back to your shore life is maybe you want to start a business. um, Maybe you want to go back to school, whatever big uh, life event. um, But you have everybody around you to help you. You just have to figure out how to ask for it. Yeah, I uh, I might do a little cop out here and 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 tag on a little to what Biz said. I've noticed obviously during the pandemic quarantine, a lot of people in my spheres are we're all finally reaching the breaking point where we can no longer pretend like we don't need each other. I'm having more earnest conversations with my friends and really starting to understand their problems and and things. And I think that we get to that point on ships faster. 
it's a group isolation experience and you have to get there or the ship won't work. So if you bring those skills from the ship ashore, it's a faster way than having a global pandemic to, uh, to get close with people and to, to, know, to know who's on your side ashore and recognize that you need them. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I think it's really interesting that this whole podcast has been about um, teaching aboard boats or sail training. And yet, I would say 90% of what we talked about were communication, soft skills, as opposed to the technical skills. But I think all three of us naturally gravitated towards that. Yeah, well, I think that's that's what traditional sail is really about. That's that's why I tell people that the boats aren't that important because it's really it's really about life skills. Obviously, outward bound, particularly, is not about sailing. Is not about hiking. Is not about whatever uh, course element they're involved in. It's about communication. It's about self realization and growth. And and uh, that's that's why mm-hmm. I've been doing it. And yet at the same time, you also have to teach them the technical skills well enough so that they can get from point A to point B safely. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, uh, it makes just the perfect vehicle for, for all that high-minded stuff I'm blabbering on about. <laughs> so I have one final question for Biz. Um, given that you have done all this sail training and then you just started working with more self expeditions, what do you think about teaching with us? Ah, Great question. Uh, I am um, so I'm I'm drafting my my end of year Instagram post, um, and one of the highlights of my year was definitely coming to teach with y'all. One, I I just I love all those students we had; they were all just so great. But I think you guys have a great um, structure, but it's not too structured, um, and the groups are small enough that we can kind of tailor it to whatever they may need and. I like working with couples too. That's super fun. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I great experience. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to 2021. But I think you guys offer a really great combination of having this kind of background and structure in sale training and education, but then kind of the looseness of modern yachts and cruising and figuring out what people's goals are mm-hmm. and how we can help get them there. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you guys both for talking with me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts or visit morsealpha.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Expeditions. The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at timericksonmusic.com. Until next time, stay found. Yeah.